The Bharatvarta Weekly is where we discuss the week's most relevant news and events in a calm, measured and interesting way, live with your favorite guests. So if you want to really appreciate the news and actually benefit from it, skip the news and watch the weekly. Hello everyone, Namaste. Welcome to another edition of the Bharatvarta Weekly. We're going to run you through the news and events of the week that was. Joining me in conversation, I have Nirav Kanodra and Abhishek Paul, your regular guests on the weekly. Hey Nirav, hey Abhishek. How are you guys doing? Hey, Kari. Hey, good. Awesome. Good to have you guys on this uh, rather gloomy Sunday morning. I mean, it's been uh, exceptional weather here in Bangalore. It's been raining through the day and then uh, we have some really pleasant evenings as well. Let me stop making non-Banglorians jealous of the fantastic weather that it's we have. It's now a LinkedIn uh, like, uh, job attraction, right? Like companies are putting <laughs> Bangalore weather as one of the ways to attract people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, seriously. But yeah, I mean, you should move to Bangalore. Well, I mean, lots to discuss uh, this week. Uh, you know, Adar Punawala had a meeting with the Union Health Minister on the monkeypox uh, vaccine. The, the CIA drone uh, strike killing Al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri and that marks uh, at the end of one chapter, at least uh, in, in, in history. Uh, then China sanctioning US Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her family. Uh, Elon Musk and Twitter fighting over India's importance. And the Indians women's cricket beating England women in the to reach the finals right and plenty of updates from the commonwealth games as well so all right plenty to talk about uh let's move on to the first piece of news uh serum institute uh, ceo adar punawala met union health minister mansuk mandavia uh as cases of monkeypox rise in india uh, mr adar punawala met with the union health minister to talk about the research for a vaccine and the need for it the meeting between uh, the serum institute ceo and the health minister comes days after the indian council of medical research announced an open request for commercial offers for monkeypox vaccine development to protect those most vulnerable. A few weeks ago, he also said that they're exploring the possibility of importing smallpox vaccines in bulk uh, to quote in an emergency situation and that they're talking to Novavax to see whether there will be a lot of demand or whether in three or four months fizzles out. Um, well, this is a new and interesting development. What, what do you make of this, uh, Nirav? I mean, are we being extra precautionary or I mean, is there uh, you know, so I think, some reason for fear? So I think one is probably like COVID has made as everybody a little more extra precautionary but so monkeypox is not as uh, contagious as uh, covid right it, you need like physical contact extended physical contact it's more like a sexually transmitted disease uh, the big spread happened like in from belgium gathering of uh, many so it was an lgbt uh, fest and so there was a lot of people with a lot of multiple partners and that's how it kind of spread out so but it, a good thing is that see we have the infrastructure we have the world's largest vaccine maker so we have the manufacturing capacity uh, if they have a JV with uh, say Novavax or another research company or even their own in-house research from the profits that they've accumulated, this is a good opportunity to come up with a vaccine if required. And also this is a very big export potential as well, right? So it's always better to be forewarned and forearmed, but there is no need to panic for the general population, right? I think the total global number of cases were about 28,000 or so. In India, the total cases are less than 10, right? So, and there's been one death in India. So definitely this is not like COVID where you are having 400,000 or 4 lakh cases a day and the numbers, whatever we've reached was like really huge till the point I think like probably every Indian probably has gotten COVID and recovered, maybe asymptomatic, but uh, so it's nothing to be really worried about, but like any kind of uh, disease, I think this is a good opportunity. Like we've got the infrastructure, right? So we can use it well. And it is, I would say proactiveness and part of the health minister Mansuk Mandavia, as well as Serum Institute CEO, Adar 
thing that kind of went viral on twitter and uh, you know i got some whatsapp messages and so on as well right is this some kind of uh, you know is this something like that i mean what do you make of this abhishek yeah so first of all it's a very interesting thing that nancy pelosi chose to visit taiwan and she chose to visit uh, against the advice of the white house and the secretary of state right so both president biden and uh, secretary blinken did not want uh, pelosi to visit but she went ahead and uh, did the visit anyway so the speculation regarding that is that you know she's currently the speaker of the house and the chances are that uh the democrats will lose the house in the november election so by january she is probably going to be out of the post so this is like some sort of last personal publicity stunt or you could call it whatever like her own image building image defining kind of characteristic visit is what she was trying to do so while the white house didn't want her to go once she decided to go and then the chinese reacted then the us had no option but to back her right because it would look very bad if you are not backing your own major politician and in fact even the republicans then stood behind her right saying that you know she does have the right to visit even though it may be foolish for her to visit right now but uh, she does have the right to visit and other senior uh, us members of the congress have visited even though it's like 20 25 years now so that's like the background of the visit and then as you would recall her uh, her flight became the most tracked flight in the history of Uh, whatever uh, where you know there there were people speculating that would china shoot down the flight itself and then the news came that okay now she has landed and then she did her visit and she came back so obviously as you said china has announced sanctions not yet clear what it means but anyway those will be largely symbolic apart from that they have said that they are cancelling all or suspending all climate talks with the us and they are suspending uh, phone calls between chinese and us uh, defense leaders and any some other you know naval meetings and things like that right they are also suspending cooperation on repatriation of illegal immigrants etc so certain other steps the chinese have taken i think the chinese uh, communist party has a big uh, meeting scheduled soon so that's also a background to this right with china reacting quite strongly uh, but yeah i think a uh, lot of people feel that ultimately taiwan is going to be one of the big potential flashpoints right uh, in the next decade right we don't know uh, what chinese communist party will do whether they are ready and geared up to you know start a conflict pretty much it is now guaranteed that the us will try to step in and do some sort of uh, military defense of taiwan if the chinese go 
take the military option so it makes it definitely one of the biggest potential uh, flash points that we have across the globe right now yeah so just adding a bit right like the history between like say china and taiwan till 1945 china was con- uh, was ruled over by japan right uh, till world war 2 then they got independence then like there was a kind of a republican type party uh, like a more center right party which was uh, kmt kuom Ming Tan, which was uh, ruling over big parts of China, but China was in a bit of chaos from 45 to 49. And then 49, when the Communist Party took power, the KMT escaped to the island of Taiwan. And like Taiwan before that, even before under like uh, when it was the Ming Dynasty ruling, it was controlled by Japan even prior to like uh, way before 1905. Yeah, uh, I think late 19th century is when the Japanese yes. public took over so, Taiwan. Yes. So Taiwan has been a little bit distinct. And then what has happened is Taiwan considers, calls itself Republic of China and they believe all of China is ruled by them. And yeah. <laughs> China is People's Republic of China and they believe that Taiwan is a part of them. Right? Yeah. So there is this kind of an issue. Uh, then in under the UN convention, like what is a country? So a country, a nation is defined as it has to have four characteristics one is a stable or a settled population a settled population two is clearly defined geography boundaries uh, three is its own system of government and the fourth one so all these three taiwan has but the fourth one is ability to have relations with other countries so what has happened is that since 49 both sides are kind of saying that they are the real china and china uh, taiwan is not recognized by a lot of countries a lot of countries uh, they follow the one china policy that all of it is one and it is controlled from beijing but uh, taiwan has its own system of government they have elections unlike mainland china which has a communist party and the leader is done by an internal system where internal committee appoints someone taiwan actually has like democracy and people actually vote out tsai ing wen uh, the Uh, current uh, leader is not from KMT but from the other party which is which which wants like more distinct identity and lesser relations with China and what has happened is US has a policy what they call a strategic ambiguity right where they kind of say yes we follow one China policy but we do a lot of business with Taiwan Taiwan is also very critical uh, they have TSMC which is the world's uh, number one maker of like the cutting edge semiconductors so uh that's a very critical component everywhere we've had all these semiconductor shortages uh, y'all uh, bharat varta had a fantastic episode on semiconductors so this is become like a very uh, sensitive issue uh, one more also- interesting trivia i learned just recently is uh, that it was actually the republic of china which was part of the initial security council yes uh, in the un and then in 1971 or so there were some backroom deals struck which made which brought in the prc into the security council and pushed out the taiwanese right and yeah it seems now the taiwanese folks can't even enter the united nations building because yes. of that so. yes so that's why it's not recognized as a country china yeah. wasn't recognized like this prior to 71 then like mao reached out to the west after the whole cultural revolution etc and like uh, deng shopping actually opened up china to like the west right and opened global trade so that is one thing two is you have all these wolf warrior diplomats and uh, you have like the spokesperson who shijin uh, who is uh, from the people's daily which is an english uh, newspaper but like it's kind of the mouthpiece of the chinese communist party and they were making like very snide comments and they were like made it a very big issue that pelosi can't visit taiwan without the permission from beijing and if she comes in then uh, chinese air force pilots or like air force will accompany her plane there was talks on tiktok etc about 
like blowing up her plane so what has happened is pelosi went in there she met she went in the parliament spoke with the prime minister and uh, kind of presented a united front and said oh like we are kind of like supporting taiwan she said that though still us is following the one china policy right but they recognized taiwan as like one uh, separate unit they have a lot of trade relations with taiwan there is some distinction as well this has put an egg on the face on china because what china has done is by raising this issue so much they've kind of uh, made it such a big deal that anything which has gone against their wishes is seen as a defeat by the local population right because a lot of local population they're very nationalistic uh, obviously they did not like it and you saw a lot of social media lot of videos etc right i would say for india the closest approximation right probably is ilan umar visited pok right and uh, while india voiced its displeasure but indians did not make it a very big issue that when she visited then it seen as a defeat for india they we said that okay uh, we do not agree with this this is a uh, integral part of india etc right but we didn't make it such a big issue on social media everywhere and that it naturally died down its death i'm sure most of our viewers wouldn't know about it right so what this has done is pelosi suddenly has got a flip and a lot of americans say that who is china to tell where americans can go or not uh, you don't police who goes to your neighbor's house right so that is one thing it kind of gives the democratic party a bit of like spine and maybe some popularity points increases a bit for china what it does is it creates another convenient villain they are suffering from like a dynamic zero covid policy and they have like slower growth they have abandoned their 5.5% gdp growth target so now they've also got a convenient villain so i think this works out both ways uh, china has responded by very so they've sanctioned pelosi but probably she's not going to do business in china nor are her grandkids going to go to shanghai normal university or fudan university they've kind of said that they'll uh, stop trade with uh taiwan on like sand so china exports sand to taiwan and they'll stop imports of citrus fruit and fish right but they're keeping on the main thing which is semiconductors all iphones are assembled in china by a taiwanese company foxconn and now the last flip i want to say for indian perspective right this is a fantastic thing for india where it tells the world that you are too reliant on china chinese exports chinese manufacturing you need to have parallel systems in place you need to diversify away from china that china can be unreliable you can have sudden sanctions you can have sudden stop of talks you could have certain export bans you don't want that india vietnam indonesia even probably bangladesh different things of manufacturing i think it's a very positive news for the rest of uh, asian nations right which have like large populations and large poor populations which can do like a lot of the low end manufacturing jobs so i think that's a very positive thing all in all what has happened is i think china by raising the issue too much they have kind of like their bluff has been called it's a bully's bluff has been called that they said that they wouldn't allow pelosi to land and she's landed and she's left and they've kind of responded maybe this is a very very six sigma event if this kind of leads to you know like a world war 3 where china tries to invade taiwan then it's like all bets are off the table uh, we don't know what happens in that case we don't know like this is like your uh, world war 1 was started by a serbian student killing the prince of austria right so uh, but i don't think so i think sensible heads will prevail uh, we don't think like what uh, russia did in ukraine that they've annexed a part of it i don't think uh, china would do that because they have too much to lose if uh, they don't export a lot so but the thing uh, is it's more like my read on china is two things one is what president g like what he feels his strength is within the party right and whether yeah. he feels he needs to prove something to the party and the people and yeah. also two as you said 
just like the wolf warrior diplomacy thing there are also some rogue elements in their military right and who want their own power positioning and all that and so you know there is a scenario where some of these rogue elements within the military start off a conflict on their own right yeah. even without the blessings so, of ji jinping and then think anything can happen from there so yeah. these are the kind of risks Second thing that is, are there uh, you've got chinese fighter planes going into through the taiwan strait into like taiwanese waters like or taiwan border through the midpoint of the taiwan strait you had them like ships encircling taiwan and warships and the other aspect is like for example what we had again i want to drop parallels with india say for example a plane is shot down and like one of the pilots lands in like taiwanese territory then how is he returned back like what we had with uh, wing commander abhinandan so i think similar things might happen but i think senior voices most probably will prevail uh, they might do like a little more uh, grandstanding in reality i feel a bullies bluff has been called probably like things will die down its natural death and people will move on exactly like in october we have like the uh, transition from the next group of leaders so xi jinping is expected to be the leader but he also needs a buy in from all the senior uh, whatever they call as the party committee so basically he needs to consolidate his power right so this is also something which is there and it's kind of a little bit in flux so uh let's wait and watch but i think like actual conflict hot war is unlikely but we are stepping into a cold war where you're trying and like moving away from uh, having just one supplier and having too much uh, dependence on china i think rest of the world will slowly but steadily drift away from there yeah great points i mean uh, so this is kind of the china's final warning right which we mentioned basically that you know the russian proverb that originated um, Uh, earlier to refer to a warning that carries no real significance or consequences a couple of things to add here i'm not sure if you guys follow the pelosi tracker it's this uh, thing on twitter right where this guy tracks all of uh, pelosi's uh, stock market bets and everything right all her <laughs> calls and everything yes so Taiwan has been a good distraction from her own accusations of insider trading, right? Yeah. So, no, so she did meet the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, right? T uh, TSMC, TSMC. Uh, right? To discuss this uh, recently passed Chips Act, yeah. uh, which provides some two billion dollars of federal subsidies for uh, domestic chip factories and all of that. Yeah. And incidentally, just recently, she sold some uh, shares of Nvidia. Apparently, she bought and sold, of course. I mean, it's so crazy, right? I mean, it blows my mind. She's just so fascinating. i mean she's a lot of us don't have that nerve to trade at like what what is it buddy right and she is uh, 82 right i mean obviously she's not doing it someone is doing it on her behalf but still just the capacity the mental bandwidth to straddle all of these things is just uh, remarkable also i'm reminded of what uh, mr nitin gokhale mentioned on uh, the podcast uh, on bharatwartha right uh, sometime back that you know october is when their uh, chinese party national elections are going to happen and uh, uh xi jinping might actually escalate things uh, yeah. uh internally uh, to sort of precipitate some kind of a war like situation to uh, get more support right and earlier i thought you know between india and taiwan i thought uh, you know india is perhaps more likely right i mean less of a yeah. consequence and i thought you know skirmish with us would uh, would be like expected but then i mean now even taiwan is not off the table right i mean with everything that's happened also like the local chinese population doesn't care that much about india or ladakh yeah. or yeah. sikkim to be fair as in 
for them like taiwan is an emotional issue all right in uh, more international news uh, al qaeda leader ayman al zawari uh, has been killed in a us uh, drone strike uh, president joe biden announced on monday that al qaeda leader ayman al zawari was killed in a us drone, drone strike in kabul uh, an operation that he said delivered justice a taliban spokesman described the us operation as a clear violation of international principles but did not mention zawari uh, us officials mentioned that the operation had had a legal basis uh, the drone strike is the first known us intervention inside afghanistan since the military pullout last august and despite the withdrawal the decades old war on terror grinds on well i mean this is uh, i don't know i mean it's it's the end of one chapter right i mean we used to hear this guys name quite often uh, you know when this whole war on iraq happened and afghanistan happened uh, you know post yes. 9/11 uh, right as the second uh, in command of the al qaeda you know famously a doctor uh, and someone who took over after bin laden's uh, you know passing yes. so i i don't know i mean i don't see too much of i don't read too much into this like, except for the fact that i mean i guess it's some kind of a face saving for uh, you know biden right i mean especially after the disastrous withdrawal from afghanistan but yeah i mean uh, what do you guys make of this so one thing is kind of now al qaeda is probably headless i think whatever the foot soldiers whatever they had either they joined taliban or they join isis of whatever is left of it so i think uh, that is one thing this kind of brings closure to the 911 chapter so uh, this guy kind of was involved in like kind of like the co mastermind uh, with osama bin laden so it brings a closure to like in the us like probably 3000 people died i think some 340 odd firefighters etc right so i think that is one thing the second is uh, also the distinction want to draw like between taliban and al qaeda so taliban whatever you may make of it it is running some sort of a government in afghanistan in kabul whereas like al qaeda is like classified as a terrorist organization right so this is one thing actually in this whole war on terror i actually sadly believe that uh, what is happening right now it's like you know in the greek mythology the uh, mythical animal hydra you chop off one head and two new emerge it's like a sad thing so yes maybe you are like chopping off a few heads here and there but probably this uh root cause it might take like a long it's it's going to be long drawn out we are probably seeing clash of civilizations so this probably goes on and uh, yeah i think again in the us i think the number one problem actually domestically is inflation and now kind of like that is uh, leading to like uh, lower ratings for biden uh, people are not that bothered about like the pull out of army from afghanistan or the shamefulness what it looked i think domestic like americans probably don't care too much about it so anyways this one this operation kind of says that oh we killed the mastermind of 911 kind of like gives a slight positive feeling or gives closure to some people but now it's been like 21 years so probably a little too late but whatever i think the other thing is this ability of precision drone strikes has probably implications uh in a much bigger thing in like the whole isis region etc so uh, we'll have to wait and see uh similarly we've already got a war going on in uh, between russia and ukraine so even their drone technology is probably the new air force right so that's another thing yeah i don't know who planned uh, uh, this distraction but i think you know pelosi was a bigger distraction than this yeah. right I mean, from inflation or whatever else in more international news uh, elon musk and twitter uh, are fighting over india's importance and the stand off with the government uh, twitter's high stakes uh, stand off with the indian government has found a mention in another high profile legal battle involving tesla 
Tesla CEO Elon Musk over his termination of a $44 billion deal to acquire the social media firm. Musk said that, that Twitter initiated risky litigation against the Indian government without obtaining consent, uh, thereby placing the social media firm's third largest market at risk, which uh, constitutes a material breach of the merger agreement. Uh, Twitter, however, denied the claims of risks and India being the third largest market. You know, there is this old gade uh, or saying in Kannada that, you know, Ibbara Jagada Mura Novanige Laba, right, which is a fight between two people can actually benefit the third. And that's what I see happening with Twitter and Elon Musk, right? I mean, we're getting to see all of the dirty laundry in public uh, and whether it's the bots or whether it's their arbitrary, you know, sort of um, uh, actions and all of those. Uh, I think it's good. I think it's good. All of this is being litigated. And I, I think it's good that, you know, Musk is like taking them to court over all of this stuff, uh, right? Um, because, I mean, we've seen... Twitter act like this supranational entity, right? I mean, totally arbitrary, uh, especially among emerging economies, whether it's India or Nigeria and elsewhere. Um, in fact, uh, Twitter had filed a petition with the Karnataka High Court. I think this is what it mentions, uh, blocking some of the orders issued by the Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology, METI, under Section 69A of the IT Act. It does, it does do these things very arbitrarily, right? I mean, like I never understood what is the point of staffing Twitter with hundreds of, hundreds of policy folks, right? I mean, I... It simply boggled my mind, right? I mean, why do you need that? If you're claiming to be like a, a platform and infrastructure, like pipes and whatnot, then why do you why do you want to do that? I mean, if you are doing that, then I mean, then you've crossed over to the other end, right? Then you have to be then you have to be accountable, like how you would hold a publisher accountable. But Twitter seems to be like uh, doing both, right? I mean, when it's convenient, it says that hey, I mean, we are just like infrastructure, we're just a platform, and then you know when it's not when in in other cases they say yeah, I mean, they do take a pretty uh, editorial perspective on a few of these things in terms of what they promote, what they block and so on. So I think it's really good that all this is, uh, you know, out in the open, it's being litigated. I really feel that this is an inflection point in Twitter's history, right? Because uh, uh, I think Elon Musk is absolutely right. If someone's paying $44 billion, again, you know, the veracity of whether he wanted to go through the deal or not, I mean, we may, we may differ on that, right? I don't think, uh, you know, Maybe he was not serious, but I think it's well within his rights to check if, you know, the bots are 5% as Twitter claims or 30, 35%, right? Uh, but one thing I will tell you, it's definitely not 5%. Uh, right. I mean, simply the way Twitter said that it was uh, verifying bots did not make absolutely any sense at all. So you can't have someone just arbitrarily pull up five, you know, hundred accounts and say that, Hey, five out of these hundred accounts seem like bot like activity. I mean, come on, this is, uh, uh, we have to be way more sophisticated than that in 2022. Right. Uh, in fact, Elon had uh, simply suggested, why don't you just give them a call? I mean, I, it's definitely fishy and I, I don't know how this will pan out going further, but uh, it, it's good. I mean, it's fun to watch this. I think. Yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, basically right now, Elon Musk probably is facing some sort of a, I don't know if it's buyer's regret, but he probably has decided that it's not worth his time and money. There are too many problems with this company and fixing it would take too much of a strain, right? And so just like the bots issue, this is one more issue that he has where he feels that what Twitter's management has done is not correct, right? And it's taking on India, uh, the Indian government orders, etc. So uh, I think Elon Musk's position has been fairly simple in uh, regard to free speech 
speech. He says that free speech is everything, but subject to each country's uh, laws and regulations, right? Yeah. And so he he may not agree with what the Indian government's acts are, but in India he will follow that. That's pretty much his simple position. So so he feels that a government is in a better position to judge free speech and its boundaries rather than these policy folks uh, sitting in San Francisco, basically, right? Or or Lutian's Delhi, right? Yeah, I think uh, this is one more episode in this whole saga. I don't know how it ends. Possibly one of the way it ends is that he buys it, but at a much reduced price. Possibly that is one solution that might be uh, of that might be possible, but I don't know. Or he might just end up paying some sort of a big fine and walking away. Yeah, either way, I think uh, everything is going to come out in the public and which is uh, which is actually good. I mean, it's, it's not been functioning as a business per se. You know, I mean, if you think about Twitter, right? I mean, uh, there are so many low-hanging fruits in terms of monetization of product that, you know, we, we keep talking about often, but they don't seem to care about, right? So, and all of this thing, you know, all of this going after governments and whatnot, I mean, it just only proves that, you know, they're not really, uh, they don't really care about the impact, right? I mean, otherwise, why would you risk that, right? So, all right, moving on to some sporting news. Uh, Indian women's cricket team beat England women in the Commonwealth Games 2022. Um, the, the team beat England by four runs to enter the final of the CWG on Saturday. The team won by choking runs in death overs. India faces Australia in the women's T20 cricket final of the ongoing CWG 2022 at Edgebaston in Birmingham on Sunday. Nirav seems to be an exciting match. What do you make of this? Yeah. So, actually, a few years ago, India lost uh, cricket World Cup finals to England. So, this is kind of like a little bit of a revenge where they beat them in the semis. And also now, India will be facing Australia, which was in the same group as India. And uh, India kind of gave up a winning position. So, it's going to be interesting. I think uh, that's a nice thing. Uh, uh, also, like, like cricket has not been traditionally like a, a sport in the Commonwealth Games. I think men's cricket was there once, but everybody sent their B and C teams uh, because of the international calendar is so packed and that is so commercial sport. But for women's cricket, which is kind of like not as well commercialized yet, uh, it is quite a nice thing. Also, like I personally believe that uh, all these events, right, where you see like uh, more women taking part in sports makes for like an overall uh, healthier society. I think all of us, uh, we are a sports watching nation. We are not that much of a sports playing nation. And hopefully these kind of successes uh, make a change. So uh, best wishes. And uh, like we'll talk more about all the other Commonwealth Games as well. It's been uh, quite a decent performance. And uh, uh, we can talk about like what uh, we are looking forward to. So Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, so just... An update on the Commonwealth Games and how India has performed. Uh, the CWG medal tally 2022, Australia is still at the top, followed by England and Canada. Uh, the Indian contingent is participating uh, 18th, the 18th time in the Commonwealth Games and has attained a position of 5 in the medal tally table. So far, India has won 13 gold, 11 silver and 16 bronze medals. Um, Abhishek, Neera, what are the highlights for you? Yeah, so India is doing uh, very well in uh, uh, weightlifting and wrestling. Uh, these are two of the categories uh, so far that you know we've won number of gold medals. Uh, one of the other among the other ones uh, there were some surprising ones for me. Like we won a gold medal apparently in lawn bowls. I have no idea <laughs> how that so, goes. But, but gold yeah. for women's and silver for men. Yeah, yeah. The first so, time, like kind of like I actually realized this is even a sport. Yeah, so that was interesting. Uh, I think uh, we are going to do well in uh, athletics as well. 
so the interesting thing uh, this time as I was reading is uh, the organizers have removed a couple of categories of sports which India used to be very strong in, which is shooting and archery. And so, I mean, there is always a bit of a debate now as to whether India should at all participate in these Commonwealth Games. Uh, there has been some editorials also which have come out that it makes no sense for us to you know continue to participate in uh, commonwealth games so anyway that's a different debate but uh, obviously uh, so india's performance has been uh, pretty good in the last three four games right i think we had the games in delhi in 2012 where we finished second on the uh, medals table and the last two times we were third and fifth i think this time also we'll probably end up in the fifth position uh, with uh, australia england canada and i think new zealand probably uh, ahead of us but yeah a lot of uh, exciting stuff happening uh, we have some chances for gold in singles or individual badminton we finished uh, second in the team event which i think which was well publicized right because after the thomas cup win so the one thing that was people were noting is that how disappointed the team was to get just a silver which itself shows a change in mindset right that everyone now is really gunning for gold right and so yeah i think in general uh uh Overall, the Indian team is doing as per expectation and doing pretty well. So, yeah, few things to watch out for. Uh, so, uh, badminton singles, as you mentioned, right? Uh, we've got one, one, uh, uh, we've got two Indian guys in the men's semis. So, we could have hopefully an all India final. Uh, so, Shrikant Kidambi and uh, Lakshya Sen. Uh, PV Sindhu is in the women's semis for singles. Yeah. Uh, Table tennis, we won the men's team event. Uh, that is quite surprising. Uh, squash, we won a bronze medal. Uh, in table tennis as well, we've got uh, two Indians in one one semi each, right? Uh, and sadly, like in women's, Manika Batra did not uh, uh, reach the semis. Uh, she crashed out, I think, in the quarters. Uh, she was a gold medal winner last time. So that is there. Neeraj Chopra is not there because of an injury. Otherwise, we would have expected one medal, hopefully gold, or if not gold, probably at least silver, what he got in uh, the World Athletics Championship because the other guy is also from Granada, which is a Commonwealth nation. And uh, uh, in hockey, I think Indian women lost the semis to Australia and uh, they'll be playing off for the fourth spot. And in men's hockey... Uh, India is, I think, in the finals playing Australia. So, yeah, I think we won against South Africa. We won against night. South Africa and now we are in the finals. So I think it's quite interesting. It's like quite uh, another good thing. I think through like last few things like the last Olympics and which we spoke about as well as like uh, the breadth of sports is also quite nice. See, we are not like a massive sporting nation like Australia England or the US, etc. Uh, we don't have that much state support. But I would like to shout out for like uh, the Olympic Gold Quest. I think they've done a good job of identifying like the few key uh, uh, talented athletes and giving them a lot more resources. Uh, so Neera Chopra is one of them. Uh, we've got like a system uh, like uh, Gopi Chan's Academy and plus like in badminton. I think what happens is success attracts success. And uh, like, as I said, like, you know, about the women's cricket team, right? If uh, kids who see uh, people doing well in sports, they can think of sports as a career. This gets a lot more popular. 
I think it's a very positive thing. So uh, another thing I was telling one colleague of mine, uh, an Australian colleague, uh, he, he was like ribbing at India having such a large population, but so few medals. Uh, you look at the per capita income of like the countries ahead of us, right? Australia, England, Canada, New Zealand, right? Those four are the ones ahead of us. And they are like maybe 20 times as rich as India. So now India, yes, it has advantage of population, but we've got a critical mass. Uh, there's a little bit of success. Uh, hopefully, uh, I don't know if the Asian games go through in Hangzhou. I think in China is kind of difficult now. But uh, before we've got like uh, other events, like for example, the Hockey World Cup 2023 in India, uh, we've got, so for the 2024 Olympics, right? We have like a wider contingent. And another uh, special thing, wrestling. India sent 12 contestants, six men and six women, and everybody at least got a bronze. So that's like a 100% hit ratio. So it's very heartening. I think it's uh, quite a nice broad-based performance uh, from like weightlifting. I think Mirabai Channu won the first gold for India. She got a shout out from Chris Hemsworth as well. Yes, yes. So Uh, it's it's like quite a nice thing. So He's worthy of picking up hammered now so. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely so no so that's quite a nice thing and hopefully in the years to come right i think all these athletes they've been probably practicing for 10 years to get here where they are right and hopefully this inspires the next set of athletes that uh seven eight ten years later they are on the podium and we kind of like increase our medals tally and we become a serious sporting nation yeah no i, I think uh, a lot of positivity and optimism for sure, right? I mean, sports is something that takes decades to uh, happen, uh, right? I mean, arguably all of the Indian cricket's uh, success right now could be traced back to that 83 World Cup, right? I mean, uh, uh, and and that's what, like 30, 40 years uh, in the making. Yeah, right? so, so similarly, like our hockey team's performance in the last Olympics, right? I mean, that should be, that will inspire a generation that will start competing in 10 years, I'm sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. Look at badminton. I mean, we have a killer badminton uh, lineup right now. And I'm sure, I mean, everything goes back to, you know, Gopi Chand. Or yeah, definitely. Like, probably like Fingers Gopi, crossed Chand, we get... Gopi Chand's uh, impact is like the 1983 of cricket, right? So, his yeah, yeah. next generation is now like 5x, 10x of the type of talent that he had himself, right? So, uh, because he was like a lone warrior in his era. But now we right. have a big, bigger pool of talent. Yeah. Yeah, so badminton, but, hopefully we get a men's gold and silver and women's gold. I think yeah. that will be like super good. Yeah, that'll be amazing. Yeah. And uh, plenty of these uh, games as well. The, the sure width of these games, right? I mean, uh, uh, you know, javelin and, uh, you know, the chess is doing like we're doing pretty amazingly well, right? Since uh, Vishwanathan and on then all. Um, so, yeah, really excited for what's to come. Uh, on that note, uh, you know, we come to the end of the weekly. We have a lot of exciting episodes lined up. Let me just show you a quick preview of what we have coming up. Um, okay, so in August, we're calling it the Amrit, uh, the Azadi Ka Amrit Mahotsav series, right? Uh, and we have new episodes on history, economics, and more. Um, the first is an episode that we've talked about a couple of times before. Uh, it's a state of the uh, economy, state of the Indian economy episode with Harsh Madhusudan, uh, author and investor. Harsh has appear, appeared more than a couple of times on Bharat Vartha and is very erudite on these things. Uh, also, his ability to articulate some of these macro concepts in simple uh, ways is uh, really, really um, phenomenal, uh, right? And, uh, you know, I, I've mentioned this a couple of times on Twitter 
and someone replied saying hey you guys are promoting this way too much i mean you should re- release the episode soon enough uh well we will release it soon enough this uh, week i mean you can expect this episode uh and then we're also going to have uh, shriram balasubramanyam who is an economist and author as well um he wrote this book called kautilyanomics uh nirav spoke to him some time back uh, nirav do you want to give uh, uh, folks a little preview of what to expect yeah sure so uh, i think uh, so shriram is uh, he's an economist uh, in, uh, living in the us and uh, while uh, what he's done is he's read the original uh, arthashastra in sanskrit and he draws parallels uh, kautilyanomics on the economics front so there's a little bit on like warfare and statecraft so he's like kind of sidestep from it and he says what is relevant and it's actually quite surprising because uh, he talks about like global trade like you talked about like trade with foreign countries right uh, that was in that era you wanted like a strong state he talks about taxation the taxation should be just and fair talks about the role of the leader is to keep the population happy even in a monarchy right it's not it's not a democracy so i think it he takes all the relevant lessons uh, what is there and it is surprisingly for like an open economy uh, very focused on entrepreneurs very focused on uh, individual craftsmen selling their things right so it's quite surprising and uh, a lot of these uh, principles are probably timeless so mm-hmm. uh, we compared it with say like uh, adam smith's uh, uh, wealth of nations or like uh, 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 the prince by machiavelli where kautilya is compared to but like uh, arthashastra is not as popular in like business books right so it's a very interesting topic the book also will be released out in mid august i am looking forward to reading the whole thing uh, and so should all our uh, viewers yeah uh, another stellar episode and we're going to have ami ganatra as well uh, who's an author you've uh, heard her a couple of times on uh, bharat varsha including hosting some of the episodes uh, she returns with a book called ramayana Un- unraveled uh, where she talks about some of the lesser known facets of uh, rishi valmiki's uh, epic uh, ramayan uh, yeah i will be talking to her uh, you know this week and again i'm really looking forward to this ramayan again you know uh, very complex characters and if you if you look at it in different ways i mean you get different perspectives uh, right so i am really uh, keen on understanding this uh, so um, the other one is uh, this episode with tuhin sinha and ambalika who are authors of the great tribal warriors of bharat uh, again tuhin is a very prolific author uh, he has been on the uh, podcast more than a few times uh, for earlier books of his uh, right uh, so this episode has been recorded with vivek khetan uh, and, and again you know very symbolic that we're you know releasing it uh, in the month of independence uh, so so yeah i mean all very very nice episodes coming up uh, again as i mentioned before uh, please uh, rate us review us on your favorite pla- uh, podcast platforms or on youtube and so on so some of these algos can pick up our content and promote uh, us to a wider audience uh, thank you so much for your support thus far uh, we'll keep coming back with um, fresh and insightful content uh, so for now uh, from nirav abhishek and myself uh, thank you for keeping us company on this sunday morning hope you have a great week ahead thank you jahin